and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we get set to go against the spread on this, the first week of the college football bowl season and the NFL season into its final three weeks. With that, we've got you covered for this weekend's football games. And I want to welcome our co-host, Victor King, from King Creole Sports onto the set. Victor, all in all, how were things for you this past week? And are you looking forward to the upcoming college football bowl season? I'm ready to go bowling, Mark. Definitely. You know, this is a this is the season of giving, as you know. Uh, we give more than we get. That's the way the holidays should really be. And this week, in terms of playbook, we not only have our regular publications, the Playbook Newsletter, Totals Tip Sheet, Midweek Alert, but we add our fourth signature publication, the famous Mark Lawrence Playbook Bowl Stat Report. Uh, we record the show on a uh, Wednesday morning, and it should be available later today on Wednesday, certainly by the time that people listen to the podcast. It's something we spend a lot of time on. It's something we're very proud of, and it's a must-have if you're going to be betting the bowl games, the uh, bowl stat report. Well, that it is, Victor. A lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort goes into the bowl stat report, and we're hoping to have it ready on Wednesday as we do the podcast, if not Thursday morning at the latest. There's just a crunching number of amount of data and material inside the bowl stat report, and I know I wouldn't make a move without it. And it also helps me prepare for the upcoming college football bowl season as well. And with it, Victor, I know uh, your contributions to the Bulls that report are huge as well. You isolate a lot of the college conference trends and stats and things that happen in football bowl games uh, as far as your college bowl conference call goes. And uh, just a quick note here before I pass it over to you, some of the interesting uh, tidbits that you put together in your college bowl conference call I think that uh, might be a little bit noteworthy is uh, involving teams such as the Pac-12 Conference, who has been famous for not showing up in bowl games of late. Uh, they're just four and twelve, I believe, four and twelve straight up, three eleven and one to the spread the last two years in bowl games. They've been absolutely horrific. Uh, and if you take a look at uh, their worst role according to the College Bowl Conference call, uh, when they've been favored off a loss. Pac-12 teams are just 1-9 and nine to the spread, and that would put both Utah and Washington State in those categories. Any other things that you call noteworthy, Victor, from what you saw from the College Bowl conference call report inside the stat report? I think you covered some of the major points, and of course there's a ton of more material and stats and numbers there. And we also have to like uh, tie a nice, neat little bow around the end of the college football regular season we saw the results of that Army-Navy game on Saturday, the game that we talked about on the podcast last week, Mark. Uh, it looks like it was a close game, and of course, if you were able to get that 7.5 with Navy, you were able to cash a winner there. The game still went under the total, despite that low over-under number. 
there was still a little meat on the bone, as it turned out, as the game was still low scoring. It was the 13th consecutive game in the series that went under the total, but a nice way to finish the college football regular season for uh, us here in the podcast. That it was. Uh, in fact, they played just according to Hoyle, as you mentioned here, yep. uh, both uh, the dog and the under. And in fact, it's a kind of a game, Victor, that uh, if you played that game for a side, you absolutely should have won the game. Whether you laid Navy as a favorite or took I mean, I laid Army as a favorite or took Navy as a dog, there were six and a half, sevens and seven and a halves out there. So if you shopped right, you should have cashed yeah. your ticket. And as you said, you easily cashed in the bowl uh, in the game as far as the under total went. That was a snore fest, to say the least. Uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that. One other interesting note that I got out of that game, Victor, in putting the bowl stat report together, and I think our listeners might find this interesting, is that as we watched Army just chew up the clock and just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Now they're going to be moving into the college football bowl game, the Armed Forces Bowl, where, by the way, military teams have been just dominating in bowl games, and a lot of that is attributable to their discipline And when they go to bowl games. Uh, but inside the bowl stat report, what we note is that Army leads the nation in time of possession, uh, and that's because of that offense, that style that they just keep running the ball at you. The team that they're playing, the Houston Cougars, is the worst team in the nation in time of possession. Yep. So what, what you'll have in that game is one team that will chew the clock up, the other that will get be on and off the field. And the Army style being what it is, I think would only lead to the fact that it'll assure you that we won't see a lot of Houston Cougars offense on the field in that football game. And when we do, it'll be for a very short period of time. So I think it's only going to benefit Army in the game. The combination of the two, the best time of possession playing the worst time of possession. And given the fact that Houston's a porous defensive favorite in the football game, I think it makes for another nice military dog, not dog, but play on Army in that football game. A lot of good handicapping stats and information like that are contained in the College Bowl stat report. You'll want to get your hands on a copy of that. As Victor mentioned, you can log on at playbook.com or call the office toll-free. The number is one 800 Playbook. That's 1-800-752-9266 to get your copy of the College Football Bowl Stat Report just in time for the upcoming College Football Bowl games. And with that, Victor, let's move it over to the National Football League side of things where we move in now to the three final weeks of the football season on tap here this particular week here. Uh, it was a little bit of a tough call week. I know it was good for dogs last week, if you would, if you want to re maybe capture what underdogs did last week. I know a lot of them won quite a few games straight up. Unfortunately, the one we wanted to didn't do just that. But what did you have as far as win-loss totals went in the uh, NFL football last week, Victor? Yeah, pretty good week. Uh, again, overall for dogs, a profitable week. Mark 9 and 7 ATS for underdogs. More importantly, 7 outright underdog winners. In the totals tip sheet, I called it a weird, wild, and whacked weekend in the NFL. Now, I'm not going to say wacky. I'm going to say whack because... Uh, Personally, I feel that in terms of some of the totals plays, we got the rug pulled out from under us a little bit. But again, seven outright underdog winners, including a 10-point dog in the Oakland Raiders over Pittsburgh, a nine-point dog with Miami over New England. Of course, the game that they're calling the miracle Miami or the shock at the rock, whatever you want to call it, a uh, very interesting last play of the game there. Not to mention outright underdog winners on the Jets, uh, our Cleveland Browns improved to five wins with their a dog win over Carolina. Indianapolis in a big 
underdog win over Houston, who had won, what, nine games in a row? San Francisco pretty much dominating Denver at home. And then finally in the Sunday night game, Chicago was the slight home dog, and they uh, took home the bacon against the uh, L.A. Rams, completely dominated the Rams, I might add. For the season now, we've got the underdogs coming in at 103.90-8 overall. Pretty profitable season. And in terms of totals, uh, not as one-sided on the actual scoreboard as it was statistically. There were uh, seven overs, nine unders last week, but it was still the second lowest scoring week of the season last week. In fact, Mark, the last two weeks of the NFL have been the two lowest scoring weeks, 42.7 two weeks ago, and this is last weekend, 43.5 points. You're seeing the numbers come back down to earth a little bit. That's not surprising given the tendencies of the last month of the season, the fact that you got some nastier weather, the fact that we're kind of top-loaded with more division games than non-division games, but it was the second lowest scoring week of the season. Yeah, I was going to mention that, Victor, that uh, in looking at the opening lines both last week and this week on the National Football League card, I've seen immediate hits to the totals going under, and I'm talking about across the board. Mm-hmm. In these totals, two, three points off the off the openers. And uh, a lot of that, as you say, attributable to it being one, the time of the year, two division games uh, cropping up into play right now. And uh, also three, maybe perhaps the importance of playoff races that are in effect right now. And, you know, for these teams that are in playoff races, obviously they're there because the majority of them have owned good defenses. And when you lock horns with good defenses late in the football season here, you'll end up seeing some uh, rather low-scoring football games or totals that uh, end up going the opposite way. But I noticed this, Victor, in your totals tip sheet this week, you talked about uh, the west-to-east time zone pattern yep. that, that exists. And I don't know if you want to touch on that now or will it maybe across the board later on in the show with one of the plays that you're going to be talking about. But uh, an interesting topic, to say the least, about the west-to-east time zone plays. We're going to make that one of our free plays later on in the show, these west-to-coast games and the tendency toward a little higher scoring. Uh, It was surprising to see multiple division winners lose last week. Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, New England Patriots, Houston Texans, three out of the four division leaders in the AFC all lost last week, not to mention the L.A. Rams, the NFC West current division leaders. And... uh, for a while there, I got to tell you, even Tampa Bay had New Orleans on the ropes in that game. I know it didn't show up in the final score, what, 28 to 14, but they were down like 14 to 3 at one point, and Tampa Bay was completely dominating New Orleans. And I'll say this I don't think the Saints even win that game unless they block that punt against Tampa, which seemed to turn things around and kickstart things for the Saints. I'll say this, Mark. I don't see a great team in the NFL. I see some very good teams, but I don't see that one great team. Well, you know what's happening, Victor, is this, is that we saw, uh, uh, if you will, a peaking of some what looked to be good teams maybe midway through the football season. I'm talking about the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs, the L.A. Rams, and the England Patriots, who peaked, if you will, perhaps maybe a little too early before we get into the final stretch run of the season. Now these teams are coming back to earth. Now, whether it's because of injuries uh, from a point spread perspective, because the odds makers are uh, adjusting uh, their numbers on their football games. But the truth of the matter is 
uh, there are what I call chinks in the armor in a lot of these good football teams yeah. as we head down to the stretch here. I've talked about it with New Orleans. We wrote about this in the newsletter. We saw that New Orleans had this chink in the armor when they were 9-0 and straight up into the spread. All you need to do is look inside those stats, and you saw that in uh, – take a look at – uh, in the previous six games, they were outstanding half the time, three times in those previous six games. That is not the trait of a team that is dominant. And we saw that uh, New Orleans begin to fall off. We've seen the Rams fall off. And the Rams and the Chiefs have both coincidentally seem to have fallen off since their meeting, since that, that high-scoring yeah. affair, that Monday night football game. It was like a 15-round Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier <laughs> fight. <laughs> and afterwards, you know, you're kind of beat up. You're, you know, you, maybe you're punched out. Who knows what the situation is? But uh, as you say, there is not a pure, total, hands-down dominant team in the National Football League right now as we speak, and which is good for good for the league. It's good for the parity yeah. and good for, uh, you know, for the upcoming football playoffs as we're seeing them. But, you know, going into this weekend uh, right now in Vegas – the New Orleans Saints are the seven to four favorite to win the Super Bowl. They're followed by the Rams at seven to two, Kansas City at nine to two, New England six to one, and the Chargers eight to one. So that's how they've got them paired. How Vegas visualizes who's going to make it to the Super Bowl this year. One thing I do know, Victor, a team that is not going to be going to the Super Bowl is a team that bit both you and I last week, and that was Ooh. the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you can call it a bad beat because the way it unfolded at the end was terribly bad. Uh, arguably so. It was a real hard beat not to cash a ticket with either the Eagles or the under in that football game. Uh, but the way it unfolded here, I think, would certainly make the Scott Van Pelt bad beat game of the week in the National Football League. You know, here we are almost 72 hours later, and I'm still salty about how that game ended, <laughs> uh, at least from from my point of view. Uh, and we owe it to our listeners. This is the game we talked about last week on the show to at least try and uh, understand it, explain it, and at the very, very least, learn from our loss. And uh, that's what a good handicapper or better will do is they'll take that information from a loss and they'll move on uh, to the next week. But we were on the under in the game, 45 and a half. It was 6-0 to zero at the half, heading into the fourth quarter. It was nine to six. I mean, if you're like me, you pretty much have that uh, W next to the under in that particular game. Nine to six until the floodgates opened up in that particular game. And I do mean floodgates. Uh, 31 total points were scored in the fourth quarter, including three touchdowns in the final three minutes of play of that game. It goes into overtime. You know what happened in overtime. Let, let me say one thing about this particular game. When Philadelphia scored their last touchdown of the game, there may have been a minute and a half left in the game. I was shocked that they did not go for two points, the two-point conversion there. Because if they go for the two-point conversion there, it doesn't matter whether they make it or they miss it. The under wins. Your play on Philadelphia plus the points also wins. And what better time to go for a two-point conversion? After all, you're this great progressive team. You hit it a nice percentage last year. This season, the Eagles are 7 for 7 in fourth-down conversions. You're clearly being dominated statistically for the game. So the best time to try and steal a game is on the road, late in the game. And again, Mark, I am shocked that they did not go for the two-point conversion there. 
Uh, as it was, the game ended up going into overtime, and Dallas uh, didn't kick a field goal. They ended up going for a touchdown anyway. I'm still salty about it. We were on the right side in regards to the under. These things happen. I'm sure you have some thoughts as well on your side of the game in terms of the underdog. Well, that was truly one of the classic over-under total bad beats in my memory, uh, at least, uh, watching it unfold. Also, watching the game from the Philadelphia Eagle underdog perspective was a bad beat as well. I wonder why Jason Garrett did not go for a kick a field, kick a field goal with under three minutes to go in the game at the ball at the 20-yard line on fourth and one. Uh, he instead went for the first down, made it, and uh, obviously you know the rest of the story unfolded from that point thereafter. But you know, the bottom line is uh, a bad beat's a bad beat, and I think the uh, most key critical factor when it comes to handicapping games is much like on the golf course. When you have a bad shot, a bad hole, the most important thing you can do is file it, forget it, and move forward and try and move forward with a positive frame of mind because that's what's going to help you win the next hole or win the next game, and that's exactly what we have to do is uh, file it, forget it, uh, there's not a lot to learn from that mistake other than just filing it and forgetting it and forging forward and handicapping the card with a positive frame of mind. Our good friend Steve Crabb, by the way, Victor, the Texas Tornado, sent us an email here uh, with regard to, and he's, a, he's on a nice little trail here right now. He, we talked a little bit last week about uh, National Football League teams that, that uh, have a dominant rush um, amount of rush averages per attempt in football games when they play teams that are on the complete opposite end of the of the uh, teeter-totter on the opposite end that way and how dominant they become. And he cashed a nice ticket with Seattle over Minnesota Monday night doing just that. And he calls out this fact this week, and it's pretty interesting about what he sees will happen in the Miami-Minnesota football game this week, uh, how, how poor the Miami defense is, especially on the road when you break down home and road numbers. And you look at the Minnesota offense and how much dramatically different it is at home as opposed to on the road. So you have a home-road dichotomy difference strongly favoring Minnesota in this football game. And you couple that with the fact that Minnesota will have this new look with this new offensive coordinator. It could make for a good play for a favorite to fade this phony Miami Dolphin football team, which I've gone on rants about uh, so far this football season there. They've only won the yards in two of their football games, and they have a winning record. I just scratch my head and wonder what's going on. But bottom line, good email from Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado. Keep an eye on Minnesota over Miami in that home-road dichotomy situational matchup on Sunday. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear apart our college football game of the week, make that our you know, college football game of the week, and our NFL games of the week. Our college football first bowl play is right around the corner when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. If your goal is to become a winner at sports wagering, then the all-new Sports Data University is just for you. You can learn responsible sports wagering in live classes and free courses from the world's sharpest sports wagering instructors, such as Mark Lawrence, Victor King, Andy Isco, and an array of other top experts. Join live classes and ask questions you want answers to. Listen, learn, and watch at Sports Data University. Visit today at sportsdata.com. That's Sports Data University. Located at sportsdata.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week's college football bowl card in the NFL as well. And with that, we'll kick off our college football game of the week as we kick it off with our first bowl game 
We'll hop out to the Las Vegas Bowl in Nevada. The Las Vegas Bowl, always an entertaining football game. Two upstart football teams will go head-to-head. Arizona State takes on Fresno State in the Nevada, or make that the Las Vegas Bowl. Victor, your take on the Sun Devils and the Bulldogs in this contest. Well, you know, if you're going to talk about a bowl game during this uh, first week of bowl action, this is obviously the best game. It's the biggest bowl game of the first wave. I, th- I consider it the best pre-Christmas bowl on the card. You know, it's very, very rare for a Power 5 program to be playing on day one of the bowls, like Arizona State is from the Pac-12 conference. The next time a Power 5 program will be playing is a full seven days later when Wake Forest plays in the Birmingham Bowl. So that's the uh, surprising aspect, number one, of this Las Vegas Bowl. And in terms of the over-under line, it opened at 52.5. The first initial move was toward the over, uh, 53.5, as we record the podcast here on Wednesdays. And first off, we'll say this in regards to the Las Vegas Bowl specifically. The last seven years, the Las Vegas Bowl has averaged 61.1 combined points per game. That's about eight points higher than the current over-under line. In terms of the teams, Arizona State was pretty much split right down the middle, six overs and six unders on the season, 30.7 points per game on offense, 25.1 on defense. So their average game totaled 55.8. They went four and five over-under in conference play. They went 2-1 and one over, in, uh, over under in non-conference play. And uh, a, a good first season for Herm Edwards there at Arizona State, uh, deserving of a bowl game. Again, it is a little surprising that they're playing on day one of the bowls. Fresno State was one of the better under teams in college football this season, 3-9 and nine over under overall. They tied for the sixth best under team this year. Uh, FYI, the number one under team was North Texas at 1-11 and 11 over under. 34.9 points per game on offense for Fresno State. Only 13.7 points per game allowed. And here's where we get into the reasons or some of the reasons that we like this game to be a little lower scoring. They were number two scoring defense in the entire nation. They closed the year on a five straight under streak. That would be Fresno State. And not only were they 0-5 over-under in their last five games, but the margins were significant. Average margin in that five-game under streak was minus 10.4 points per game, completely closing the door on some of the better teams in the Mountain West Conference. In terms of individual team trends, I'll certainly acknowledge that Arizona State has gone 6-1 and one in, to the over in their last seven bowl games and 8-2 and two in their last 10 neutral site games. However, 3-9 and nine over under in their last 12 games against the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Fresno State have been a solid under team now for uh, a couple of seasons. They're on a pure 8-22 and 22 over under run in their last 30 games overall. They've gone 75% under the total when playing a Pac-12 team, 4-16 and 16 over under. And in their last eight games played in the month of December, one six and one over under. I'm liking the game under the toll. I think we're going to hit somewhere around 47, 48 points. That gives us about four to six points of value. And for three main reasons, number one, and you touched on this briefly in your write-up in the playbook newsletter, but Fresno State, not only were they number two in scoring defense, they had the best red zone defense 
in the country. Only Mississippi State allowed fewer TDs when an opponent got inside the 20-yard line than Fresno. Mississippi State allowed eight TDs. Fresno only 10. They had a red zone defensive percentage of only 61%, lowest in the country. When uh, opponents get inside the 20, they tend to settle for field goals going against that very, very good defense. Also, let's look at this. You know, ASU's best offensive player is not playing in this game. Uh, he's taking the uh, the ball off, and that's wide receiver Nikhil Harry. And, folks, this guy is going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL, and he has a chance to be a historically good player in the NFL. 73 receptions, close to 1,100 receiving yards on the season, nine touchdowns. He's taken the game off. So, as a result, ASU, therefore, has got the talent to – ground and pound if they have to against this Fresno State defense. You know, Boise ran 55 times last week against Fresno in the Mountain West Championship game. Arizona State has run for 200 or more yards already five times this season. That's what I think we'll see, and we'll see something similar to what happened in that Mountain West Conference Championship game, a game that went under by 17 points last week. So, Mark, we're going under in the Las Vegas Bowl, day one of the bowls, Arizona State against Fresno State. Victor goes under the total in the Vegas Bowl between the state matchups of Arizona and Fresno State. He also pointed out the fact that this is a power five versus group of five matchup, and it's unique in the sense that if you take a look, there are a total of six power five teams that are playing group of five teams in college bowl games this year. That's an inordinate amount number of games between these upper echelon and lower echelon conferences that are going toe to toe in bowl games. The unique thing is that in five of these six matchups, the power five teams find themselves favored over the group of five teams. The only one of which it was not favored is central Florida who will be playing in the Fiesta Bowl. They'll be the only underdog that is a, a group of five team that is an underdog to a power five team. This is one of the favorites. This is Fresno State over Arizona State. The big move being made in the game, as Victor mentioned, largely attributable to the wide receiver being out for Arizona State and the fact that Fresno State has been absolutely money in the bank under head coach Jeff Tedford. Since he's taken over the program, not only did the program do a U-turn, They've been dominating both straight up and against the spread. They're 21-6 straight up in all games behind Jeff Tedford, 19-6-1 to the spread. And you look at Jeff Tedford in his days as a head coach, if you will, at California when he was in the Pac-12. He went up against Arizona State 10 times. He knocked the Sun Devils off eight of those 10 times straight up on the scoreboard, going 7-3 to the spread. Also reiterating what Victor's point was that Fresno State brings in the number one ranked red zone defense in all of college football into this game. The number two team in defensive touchdowns scored. So the defense is what it's all about as far as Fresno State is concerned with their success under head coach Jeff Tedford, especially this season here. Arizona State, a nice season under Herm Edwards, a surprising hire as a head coach who defied the odds and led this team to a college football bowl game but I will say this from our database our well-oiled machine and we can analyze just about everything as far as players stats coaches goes when you take a look at first year head coaches in college bowl games these are teams going to a bowl game with a first year head coach 
when those teams have been off a win, they're just 2-12 and 12 against the spread in those bowl games. So a little bit maybe of a tougher job for Herm Edwards to have to handle in this contest here. Arizona State themselves just 1-6 to the spread their last seven games against Mountain West Conference opponents. I think the bottom line to me in this game getting to Fresno State as my side in the contest is the fact that Pac-12 teams have been absolutely abysmal in bowl games the last two years. They've gone 4-11 straight up and just 2-13 to the spread in all bowl games the past two years until the Pac-12 can pass the test, will continue to fade them. I'll use Fresno State in the Las Vegas Bowl for my side in this first college football bowl preview. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear apart our NFL game of the week, and it doesn't get any better than the Patriots and the Steelers. We've got that in a hop out to Vegas. We'll check with Andy Isco when we come back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbucks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The Totals Tip Sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL Totals Guru, at Playbook.com. The Totals Tip Sheet has got you totally covered this football season. It's the best reference source of its kind in the nation. Get your Totals Tip Sheet today at Playbook.com and enjoy the winners. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence and Victor King, and we're going against the spread on the college and pro football cards once again this week. And with it, it's time for our NFL Game of the Week. And we've got a dandy on tap in the AFC Conference, a preview, possible playoff preview, when the New England Patriots invade Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. Victor, your take on this classic showdown between the Pats and the Steelers. Late afternoon kickoff on Sunday, 425 Eastern time. The over-under line is uh, hanging pretty solidly right around 52 points right now as the Patriots take on the Steelers. On the season, the Patriots uh, have actually been one of the more profitable under teams this season. Uh, 5-8 over under, 28 points per game on offense, 22 points Point five allowed on defense. They've gone three and four over under in their road games. Uh, what I do find significant is the fact that they do score 10 points per game less in their road games, only 23 than they do at home where they average 33. And I think you can already see which way we are leaning in this particular game, not to mention the fact that the Patriots are 0-7 over-under when playing the second of back-to-back road games in a row. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, now this is what uh, puts a, a, a little bit of trepidation behind our play, is that Pittsburgh, along with New Orleans, these are the two best teams in the NFL from each respective conference in terms of home-over results. Uh, just two short weeks ago, Pittsburgh was at home against the Chargers, 
a game that we used as our game of the month on over the total final score 33 to 30. And that game was indeed high scoring with a lot of points and a lot of offensive yards. And one can certainly make a case that this will also be the case this week, but there's something up with the Steeler team. They're coming off three consecutive straight up and ATS losses in a row. We're already talking about the fact that Tomlin is on the hot seat, that Baltimore might actually steal the AFC North division. Who knows? Pittsburgh could be one of those teams uh, that does not even make the playoffs. They're seven and six over under on the season. 51.7 is their average combined point total in their games. Yes, indeed, folks. They have gone five and one over under at home this year with a average of 60.7 in those home games. That's a high average. Definitely. However, one and six over under in their last seven games against AFC East opponents in terms of the series. It's been pretty high scoring nine and five over under in the last 14 meetings. That includes regular season and playoffs. With that said, however, in the last five regular season meetings only, there's actually only been one over, four unders, average line 49.5 right around where we are this particular week. And in fact, each of the last three meetings in Pittsburgh have gone under the total 45.3. I went to the database. I started inputting some of the results from last week. And most of the numbers do point to a fairly, relatively low-scoring outcome. Both teams off a rare straight-up road favorite loss in their last game. Of course, Pittsburgh losing to Oakland late, New England losing to Miami late, both as road favorites. Since the 2006 season, NFL games in which both teams are off a straight-up road favorite loss, one over, eight unders. A good start. Next up, we got the fact that uh, New England was in this wild game against Miami. Both teams scored 31 or more points. And again, this is out of the database in the last two seasons, one and seven over under. All NFL teams off a road loss in which they scored and allowed 31 or more points. That applies to the Patriots. Both of these teams come in as a, uh, two of the better teams in terms of one loss percentage on the season, both over 550. In the last five years, from game 13 on out, so that's the last four games of the season, when both teams are over 550 on the season and the over-under line is more than 47 points, like this one is, the results in the last five years, one over 11 unders. And then finally, we got the fact that I just mentioned Pittsburgh is off three straight up in ATS losses in a row. NFL home teams in the last two years, one over, nine unders, off three or more straight up in ATS losses in a row. That applies to the Pittsburgh Steelers this particular week. So we're going under. Uh, despite Pittsburgh's good home numbers, I think the value is on the number. Neither team, this line, this over-under line would make sense uh, 12 months ago when both teams were clicking on offense. Pittsburgh has virtually no running game now. James Conner is injured. Bell is not on the team. Uh, New England is running the ball a lot more than they've been throwing as of late. Again, Mark, this over in their line would make sense if it was played 12 months ago. These teams are different right now. There's value on the under. It'll finish somewhere in the 45 to 48 point range. Victor goes under the total in this classic showdown between the Patriots and the Steelers this Sunday. 
And it's a heck of a football game. It'll go a long way towards determining which team gets a bye in the National Football League playoffs. A bye, Pittsburgh really want, needs to win the football game just to make the playoffs. They have to win out to be considered anywhere near eligible for a bye. But that's what New England comes in doing just that in this game here. New England comes in off that obvious Miami miracle loss to the Miami Dolphins down here last week when the win would have put them in much, much better position. But nonetheless, they have to rebound after that. Much like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, a golfer off a bad shot focusing on the next game. New England must focus on this football game. Tom Brady has been outstanding in his career. We called this out. I did in our USA Today Sports Weekly column about how good the New England Patriots have been in the month of December behind Tom Brady. Uh, in his career, he's 26-8 and eight straight up away in December. And if you take the Miami Dolphins out of that mix, where he's really struggled down here in Miami in the month of December, he is 25-2 and two straight up away in the month of December. Those are some pretty imposing numbers. New England is also a perfect 11-0 to the spread in non-division games after taking on Miami. Uh, they come into this football contest here also, uh, New England does, 0-6 to the spread when they're off a loss of one point exact in playing a non-division game. So on the flip side, they've had a tough time bouncing back after real tough, razor-thin one-point losses has New England. The Pittsburgh Steelers come in here looking to shake the losing ways against the Pats in the series. They've lost five straight games in a row. Big Ben Roethlisberger against New England in the final four weeks of the season. He's 0-4 straight up and 0-3-1 to the spread. However, you flip the script and you take a look now at Pittsburgh coming in as an underdog in this football game because as we speak, when the podcast was done on Wednesday, New England has now been installed as a two-point favorite in the game, uh, largely because of the situation with Roethlisberger and with James Conner. It looks like Roethlisberger is going to play. We don't know about Conner as we do the show here, but Pittsburgh, in, in as a home underdog, when they're off back-to-back losses, they're 8-1 against the spread. They do play with revenge in this game from a year ago, almost to the week, in that classic football game when Jesse James for the Steelers had a game-winning touchdown taken away when he dove into the end zone, and it was ruled incomplete because he didn't control the ball when it hit the ground in the end zone, and that rule has since been changed after that terrible call. And I'm saying terrible because it was also bad memory 10-star play for us on Pittsburgh in that football game. So this is a revenge from that game a year later in this contest here. Uh, you know, the bottom line to me is with the Pittsburgh Steelers now riding this three-game losing streak, and it's rare for them to do just that, but when they're on a three-game losing streak under Ben Roethlisberger, they've bounced back and won six of the eight games they've played in bounce-back type situations here. I'm going to lean to Pittsburgh plus the points in this game as long as they remain the dog in the contest here. And if we get James Conner back in that lineup, I'll probably look deeper and harder at the Pittsburgh Steelers. But to me, a real tough call because you can make cases on both sides of this football game. My side will be to the Pittsburgh Steelers as the home dog when they wrap up this football game on Sunday. And with that, now it's time to hop out to Las Vegas for one of our favorite segments on the show as we join with our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, how's everything going for you in Vegas this football season? 
Yes, good morning, Mark. It's another cold day. That's indicative of the winding down of the football season, but at the same time, it means we're entering the most exciting part of the football season, both with the college bowl games leading up to the uh, CFP events at the end of the month and into January. And, of course, the final few weeks of the NFL season where fates are being determined almost on a game-by-game basis, which makes uh, a lot of for a lot of excitement. And we saw a lot of that uh, this past weekend. In fact, uh, down in your parts, they, uh, the only thing missing from that Miami Patriot game, uh, there was no Stanford band on the field at the end. <laughs> no, but there could have been, and there would have been, had there been a band there, you know, I'm sure they would have flooded the field, but uh, it's at least put the Miami fans back in good graces because, you know, there's been a, a little bit of a witch hunt brewing here for Adam Gase's head uh, for their poor play on the field, but some way, somehow, they keep finding ways to get in football games and win them despite getting outplayed by the other team, and that was another classic case in that football game. But nonetheless, they're in the playoff hunt, the New England Patriots lost a key critical football game as far as trying to attain a bye week, getting one of the top two seeds in the National Football League. So as Victor and I talked about at the onset of the show here, we're down to the final three weeks of the National Football League season. It'll be interesting to see exactly how that unfolds. I know, Andy, in your newsletter, the Logical Approach newsletter, available at thelogicalapproach.com, you hit on handicapping the bowl games and talked about the differences when it comes to college football handicapping bowl games as opposed to what it is in the regular season here. And just briefly, quickly, if you could hit on that, what are the uh, some of the points that you might call out the differences in handicapping postseason as opposed to regular season? Well, Mark, I think uh, we've all acknowledged, I, I use the phrase for many, many years, that handicapping involves both art and science, the science being the numbers, the stats, the art being the interpretation and application of uh, those numbers, and the factoring in of other uh, factors as well, the inclusion of other factors. And whereas, uh, let's, let's say you are more of uh, an analytical handicapper, that might comprise, say, 70% of your regular season handicapping and the artistic or subjective part of handicapping might involve 30%. When you get to the bowl games, that almost shifts around because we all have the numbers, we all have ideas of what these teams can do, who they can beat, but there are a myriad of factors that come into play that have to be considered during the bowl season. Number one, one, the lengthy layoff. Number two, uh, the uh, coaches that may have departed, some of which are staying with their teams, others who might already be going on to their newer pastures. Uh, ineligibility that may come up after final exams or off-field incidents that can occur when there's so much downtime between a team's final game. I, I go back, I, I want to say it was oh, about a decade or so ago where, you know, before we had uh, some of these, these uh, uh, conference championship games, you know, the Big Ten season would end like a week before Thanksgiving, and then a lot of those teams would be playing on New Year's Day, and you're basically taking five weeks off. That's almost like, okay, in Major League Baseball, the uh, f- first uh, regular season ends uh, on uh, September 30th, and, you know, let's start the World Series on November 15th. A lot can happen in that interim time. Teams could be rusty. Uh, they they all appreciate the time off for uh, allowing injuries to heal and be as, as close to as full strength as possible. Those factors have to be considered uh, as well. We have a lot of opportunities. The, the beauty of the bowl season is we have over a month to study some of the numbers for some of the late uh, or almost a month to, for some of those January 1st games. And we can deep dive deep into them. We can get a good idea of how conferences fare by based upon their early results. Uh, how does you know Pac-12 teams do? How do Big Ten teams do, etc.? I think that we all have the stats. We all know what these teams have accomplished. But having the extra time 
to study them and also recognizing the extra time involving the players and coaches adds a totally different dimension so that numbers, why they are important, they're not nearly as important as they perhaps are in the middle of October to the middle of November. Andy Isco on the differences in handicapping college bowl games as opposed to the regular season here. We're visiting with Andy in Las Vegas as we do each and every week. And Andy, with that, we're winding down also to the crunch time in the Westgate Superbook Contest. Uh, where do we stand in the Superbook Contest? Is there a new leader amongst the board, and how did the guys fare last week? Well, to be to be honest, Mark, I don't necessarily track who the leaders are. I just track what they've accomplished. So uh, when I when I look at it this way, the uh, the the overall performance. I'll start with the Westgate uh, Westgate Super Contest Gold. That's the one that carries the five thousand dollar entry fee. Winner take all, a little bit over 120 entrants this year. The leader is currently uh, with a record of 44-23-3 against the point spread. That's a total of 45.5 points out of a possible 70, getting one point for a point spread cover, half point for a point spread push. Those uh, 45.5 out of 70 points results in a winning percentage of 65.0% for the leader. Right now, there are 34 contestants within five points of that lead, meaning that they've got at least 40 and a half out of a possible uh, 70 points. That means if uh, someone is hitting 57.9% or better in the Super Contest Gold, they are within five points of the leader. And of course, that's a huge gap at this point of the season to overcome, or to overtake the leader if you're one of those uh, that has those 40 and a half points, as opposed to say 42 or 43, where you're a little bit closer, with only three weeks and 15 picks remaining. To put it in perspective, the uh, leader with those 45 and a half points has a one-point lead over four contestants at 44-and-a-half. As far as the consensus plays go, last week it was a losing week for the consensus. They were two and three against the point spread. Uh, the winners against the uh, point spread in the consensus were a pair of underdogs, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, winning outright as five-point dogs against the Houston Texans, and the San Francisco 49ers doing the same as four-and-a-half point home underdogs to the Denver Broncos. The consensus lost with its top play of the week also an underdog the Philadelphia Eagles getting three and a half some might consider that a bad beat the way the game ended others may say the uh, Eagles are fortunate to be in that game at the end the way Dallas had been able to dominate uh, the uh, the large portion of that game but no that's NFL football the other the other consensus losers uh, the Buffalo Bills laying three to the New York Jets a game that they lost outright and a fourth underdog that was involved in the consensus the Monday night Minnesota Vikings uh, did not cover the three and a half so for the season, the consensus is at 36, 29, and 5 for the Super Contest Gold. That's 38 and a half out of a possible 70 points, translates to 55.0%. Now, as far as the main contest goes, that's the one that carries the $1,500 entry fee. It's been contested for 30 years. At uh, Originally, the property was known as the Las Vegas Hilton, and uh, then the LVH, and now, of course, the Westgate. Same management team, headed by Jay Cornegay, has been uh, running the Super Contest for, oh, I'd say the last 15, 16 years uh, after it had started, as I say, I believe it started this season after uh, the strike season of 1987, starting in 1988. The leader in this contest has a record of 52 and 18. Uh, it had been over 75% for much of the year. This is now 74.3%, so a bit of a drop down this week. Uh, there are 13 contestants uh, within five points of the lead because the leader at 52 and uh, 
uh, and, and 18 has a half point lead over one contestant and is tightly bunched. Uh, if you have 47 points or more, meaning that you're hitting 67.1%, you are within five points of the lead. But as far as cashing in the contest, this contest pays the top 100 in ties. Right now, there are 86 contestants hitting 62.9% or slightly under 63% or better who are who would be entitled to full shares based upon their finishing positions. There are 31 contestants at 62.1%. Uh, Those 31 contestants are tied for the final 14 paying spots of positions 87 through 100. So if you're hitting at least 62% in the regular super contest this year, you are currently in a position to at least get something back for your investment. The consensus last week in the uh, main super contest, also two and three, the, uh, un unlike the super contest gold, uh, which had 120 entrants. The Super Contest, the main Super Contest, they call it Super Contest Classic, had over 3,100 entries. Unlike the Super Contest Gold, where the consensus consisted of five underdogs and one favorite, not surprising because for $5,000, you'd expect there to be less dead money in that contest, a lot sharper handicappers. The Super Contest Classic, uh, the consensus was composed of five, uh, excuse me, of four favorite teams and one underdog team as follows. The winners, the two winners were the number one selection of the Indianapolis Colts over the Houston Texans and the New York Giants laying three and a half at home to the uh, Washington Redskins. The losing consensus selections this week, all underdogs, the Kansas City Chiefs laying the six and a half at home to Baltimore, the Buffalo Bills losing outright as three-point home favorites to the Jets, and the Sunday night game involving the Los Angeles Rams, three-point favorites over the Chicago Bears. For the year, the consensus is 36 and, and 34, slightly above uh, 500, uh, 500, 50% winning percentage, a little bit higher than that. Uh, the favorites, when the select, when the, when the preferred team amongst all 3,100 plus contestants was the favorite team in the game, four and four this past week, and 53, 63, and five for the season, just slightly over 51%, 51.4%. Uh, the uh, underdogs, when the underdog team is the favorite team, there were eight of those this week, five and three, that's 42 up, 40 down, and two pushes, 45.9% for the year. Overall, for the uh, consent, for the contest, uh, using every selection by every contestant, 97 correct, 104 incorrect, seven games resulting in pushes. That's 51.2% for the entire field as a whole. Finally, the Golden Nugget Contest. This is the one that involves seven selections per week, runs all 17 weeks of the NFL season, but does involve college and NFL sides. No totals this year. There is one leader who's opening up a bit of, a, of an edge right now. The leader is 67 29 and 2. That's 68 out of a possible 98 points or 69.4%. That has a two and a half game or two and a half point lead over a pair of contestants who have uh, 65 and a half total points. This contest pays the top 20 finishers. If you finish 1 through 10, you make money. If you finish 11 through 20, you get your entry fee back. Right now, it's taking 62.8% to be in the top 20, 63.8% to be in the top 10. So that's uh, the, the wrap-up right now of the three major contests here in Las Vegas. Uh, there is no mini contest in the Golden Nugget contest, but for those who have not had a very successful season, or even for those who have, if you had signed up and entered before 4 p.m. on Monday Labor Day, you are entitled to participate 
in the super contest mini contest, a $15,000 prize for whoever has the most winning selections or the best record uh, over the final three weeks. That's 15 selections. With 3,100 contestants in the field this year, would not be surprised if it takes uh, 15 and 0 to win. 14 and 1 uh, might very well get there, and it might be surprising if it's 13 or and 2 because with 3,100 contestants and uh, a lot of unusual activity going over the final three weeks of the of the season with teams in and out of contention in meet need and must win situations, a lot of unusual handicapping occurs over the final. Uh, three weeks of the season, much as a lot of unusual events unfold on the field of play. Andy Isco with an update of what's going on in the three major contests in Las Vegas. As we check in each and every week, get the Vegas vibe from Andy from TheLogicalApproach.com. And Andy, I know there have been some line moves, and it probably will continue to be so between now and when the games play this weekend. From the spreads that were sent out from the Westgate early last week, what are we looking at this week as possible line moves that you consider noteworthy? Okay, well, what we've done, I think, the past couple of weeks, certainly I know we did it last week, is we also gave out the lines for the following week. So I've got week 16's lines here. Don't know if the Westgate will be doing it for week 17 because of the uncertainty of week 17. I don't believe they put out the advanced lines last year for week 70, but if they, 17, but if they do, I will have them next week. Anyway, let's talk, talk a look, take a look at week 16, and then I'll get back to the line moves for the current week. There are two Saturday games on December 22nd, the Tennessee Titans hosting the Washington Redskins, the Titans, huge 10 and a half point home favorites right now. These are lines, of course, that at the Westgate, you can you can bet them right now. Uh, they're not uh, guides. They're just actual betting lines. The Chargers will be hosting the Baltimore Ravens in a game that could have play playoff implications for both teams. Uh, the Chargers right now, five and a half point home favorites. Sunday, December 23rd, the Dallas Cowboys, seven and a half point home favorites over the Tampa Bay Bucks. The New England Patriots, 13 point home favorites over the Buffalo Bills. Carolina Panthers, a six point home favorite over the Atlanta Falcons. Miami is a four-point home favorite over Jacksonville. Indianapolis, a six-point home favorite over the New York Giants, who, as it's hard to believe, still have not an unrealistic path to a wild card if they can win out their final three games. Philadelphia hosts Houston. This game is a pick'em. Minnesota, a three-point road favorite at Detroit. Green Bay, a three-and-a-half-point road favorite at the New York Jets. The Cleveland Browns, seven-point home favorites against the Cincinnati Bengals. The L.A. Rams are in Arizona. The Rams are 11.5-point road favorites in that game. Chicago is favored by six at San Francisco. New Orleans, a seven-point home favorite to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Seattle is a one-point home favorite versus the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the Sunday night game. And Christmas Eve Monday, a game that starts at the usual 5.15 Pacific, 8.15 Eastern time. The Denver Broncos, two-and-a-half-point road favorites at Oakland. Now, it's important to note that although there may not be any uh, lines up for week 17, there might be some games in week 16 that if you f have a strong feeling on what may occur in week 15, you might want to go, if you're in Las Vegas or have access to uh, a trip to Las Vegas or otherwise, take advantage of some of these lines. And one that comes out, for example, uh, immediately would be that game with Chicago laying six at San Francisco. It's quite possible that the Chicago Bears, excuse me, would clinch the NFC North 
worth this week doesn't mean that they would necessarily rest players next week, but they might not necessarily uh, go all out at San Francisco and getting the 49ers as a six point home underdog uh, might be an attractive play to make. Uh, for example, the, uh, the bears almost uh, are certain of being the number three seed. Don't think they could catch either new Orleans or the Rams. Don't think they would fall to whoever would win the NFC East, but uh, also keep in mind week 17, the bears will be playing the Vikings in what could very realistically be a rematch being held the following week. So these are some of the things you keep in mind at the end of the season, especially the final two weeks. As far as line moves uh, for this week's games, recall that on Tuesday of the prior week, uh, the uh, Westgate puts out uh, betting lines, as I just mentioned, for the f- coming week game. So prior to week 14 this past weekend, there were lines available for uh, all of the games for week 15, which are the games being played. Which are the games being played this week? As far as significant line moves, the Denver Broncos on Saturday are hosting the Cleveland Browns. Last week, the Broncos were six-point home favorites. Well, this past weekend uh, against the Cleveland Browns. Last weekend, uh, we saw uh, Cleveland pull a, um, a mild home upset of the Carolina Panthers, who continue their freefall, and Denver was shocked in San Francisco. The line actually went down in that game the Broncos going off a small three-point road favorite losing outright well when this line came up on Sunday afternoon after those events between Cleveland's game Cleveland's win and Denver's loss the line was adjusted to Denver being just a four-point home favorite instead of the minus six they were for the previous uh, four days that line's been bet down to Broncos now minus three Oakland at Cincinnati. This is an interesting game. The Oakland Raiders, uh, as a double-digit road underdog, uh, excuse me, a double-digit home underdog, defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers outright. Cincinnati, an even larger 14-15 point road underdog at the L.A. Chargers, almost upset the Chargers. They did cover in the 26-21 loss. Now, last week Cincinnati was a four and a half point home favorite over the Oakland Raiders. By that time, Andy Dalton had already been out for the season. Jeff Driscoll uh, was a starting quarterback. Uh, the results of this past week notwithstanding, the Cincinnati Bengals were actually dropped a half point to, or should be a full point, a three and a half point favorite over Oakland. That line has come down a little bit further. The Bengals now favored by three. This was a surprising move in the Dallas-Indianapolis game, or surprising adjustment. Last week, Dallas and Indianapolis was a pick at Indianapolis. Well, of course, Dallas continued its winning ways with its nice overtime win against uh, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Indianapolis had that home upset of the Houston Texans, who had won nine in a row. So you would expect, you would expect there to have been an adjustment, and indeed there was, but it was a significant adjustment, the game going from Pickham to Indianapolis minus three. Similarly, Detroit at Buffalo last week, that game was a pick'em. Buffalo opened a pick'em once again following this week's result where uh, Detroit won at Arizona and the Bills lost at home to the uh, Jets. Both uh, both teams involved last week in games against contenders, as they pretty much are. Uh, yet Buffalo opened a pick'em and the line immediately moved to Buffalo a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. Tennessee Titans at the New York Giants. The Giants finally playing well up to expectations, or at least the ones that were headed the preseason. Uh, they have won four of their last five games. Of course, Tennessee with that big win over Jacksonville last Thursday night. This game was a had the Giants, even before last week, a one-and-a-half-point home favorite. 
When the line got reposted Sunday afternoon, the Giants were made a three-point home favorite, a fairly significant adjustment to move up to a key number. The early action came in on Tennessee, the underdog, such that the Giants are now two-and-a-half-point home favorites. A couple of other games worth noting. Seattle at San Francisco. The Seahawks, seven-point road favorites uh, last week for this matchup. Of course, Seattle with their, uh, their win Monday night, perhaps not as impressive as the final score would suggest, 21-7 over Minnesota, in terms of how the scoring went in that game. Most of those points coming very, very late. It was a 6 nothing game, early fourth quarter. But Seattle clearly dominated the action in that contest. So the, the final score more reflective of how the game was played, not how the game ultimately uh, resulted in the, the scoring pattern. San Francisco, as mentioned earlier, at, at home upset the playoff contending Denver Broncos. Seattle was a seven-point road favorite in that uh, game last week. When the line came up Sunday, this is before the Monday night game, Seattle was a six-point road favorite at San Francisco and was bet down Sunday evening to five and a half. The game came off the board prior to that Monday night game against the Vikings being played. When it came up on Tuesday morning, instead of five and a half, where it closed Sunday night, the Seahawks were six-and-a-half-point road favorites based upon that impressive win. And yet the money came in on San Francisco to a point where this line dropped uh, late last night to four-and-a-half. It's back up to Seattle, a five-point road favorite as we do this podcast on Wednesday. And finally, the Sunday night game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Los Angeles Rams. Eagles in a desperate situation for not a point-spread cover, a point-spread win. And, of course, the Rams still battling with New Orleans for the top seed in the NFC, currently uh, tied at 11-2. and two. The Saints, by virtue of their win over the Rams, have that edge right now. Last week, the Rams were a 7.5-point home favorite. This game actually opened at 7.5, but the money immediately came in on the Rams. The line has gone as high as 9.5. It settled back down to where the Rams are pretty much a 9-point home favorite in this contest. An overview of the lines and the movements that have happened in Las Vegas, both upcoming this week and next week from Andy Isco, joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas. And with that, Victor, I know you've got a question you'd like to run by Andy on the show this week as well. I do. You know, in the last few years, Andy, in college football, there's been a handful of players who have chosen to take their bowl game off. And these, of course, are players that are expected to go pretty high in the next year's NFL draft. A guy like Christian McCaffrey comes to mind when he was a senior with Stanford. Uh, and it appears this year that the most significant offensive playmaker that has decided to take his bowl game off is probably quarterback Will Greer of West Virginia. He finished as the fifth highest rated quarterback in college football this season. My question is, since he announced the fact that he's not going to play, how has the line changed for West Virginia's uh, bowl game, the uh, Camping World Bowl? Yeah, Victor, I don't know that it has changed all that much right now. We don't really see a lot of activity in these bowl games. We see a lot of activity within the first, say, 24 hours after the uh, lines are announced. Then they sort of settle into about two to three days prior to uh, the the kickoff of this specific game. I did not monitor that move of uh, the West Virginia game as of yet because I think a lot of people expected that there would be uh, the uh, the uh, staying out for Will Greer amongst other Ed Oliver of Houston in their game against uh, uh, against Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, Keneal uh, Harry 
of Arizona State, one of the better wide receivers projected to be a first-round uh, pick, is going to be missing uh, the game this weekend here in Las Vegas against Fresno State, the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, there generally will be some movement if it's a surprise announcement, one that hadn't be con- been considered. And a lot of that actually, uh, when, when, some, when some of the Sharps get wind of that information, perhaps before it's officially announced, we may see some movement. It's something that, that I don't track as closely as perhaps a lot of others do. However, it is an important factor, and the importance comes in in evaluating the, uh, the impact of that player being out. Because again, remember, these teams now have two to three weeks, sometimes more, to prepare for the absence of that player. And uh, we talked about some of the factors that go into handicapping the Bulls at the very top of this segment. And uh, one of that I think I didn't uh, mention or certainly didn't emphasize is important. Aside from the players who aren't going to be playing, the motivation level of these teams. For some teams, it's a reward for going to a bowl game, especially for programs that hadn't been to bowl games before, that are new perhaps or recent members of FBS. For others, you know, maybe you take a look at a team like uh, Georgia. Uh, they're going to play Texas. Uh, Texas, yeah, they weren't expected to win the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma. Oklahoma, but they certainly gave them a good battle. Georgia had the SEC championship all wrapped up. How excited are they to be playing in a bowl game after playing and taking Alabama to overtime last year? Those are the things where you want to monitor some of the line moves because some of those line moves that do occur will be based on information surrounding the program as to you know, this team, the coach was concerned about the way the team practiced, etc. So I can't specifically comment on Will Greer's impact in general, but it is very important to keep an eye on those and be aware of it. It may or may not affect your handicapping and betting decision, but you certainly want to be aware of those factors as they develop. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Before Andy, I'm going to ask you your complimentary play on the card. I'll just jump in real quick and say that I'm going to guess that West Virginia line move will be six points, six or seven points. He's that much, that valuable of a quarterback to that football team. And, well, I think they opened up like seven or seven and a half point favorites. You might see this game get close to pickish when they play. But that's only my quick note observation on West Virginia. Andy, with that, looking ahead to the National Football League card this week, what are you looking at for your complimentary play for our listeners this week? Well, I, I mentioned this game a little earlier as far as the line move, and it's the game between Cincinnati and Oakland. Cincinnati currently a three-point home favorite. Uh, both teams are coming off of uh, pretty good efforts, both covered as double-digit underdogs. The Raiders, of course, winning that uh, back-and-forth game against Pittsburgh. Cincinnati hanging in there against the L.A. Chargers in a game that many people felt that uh, uh, they would lay down. I'm going to be going with the Cincinnati Bengals as small home favorites in this role. Uh, Jeff Driscoll, who's taken over for Andy Dalton, who was injured several weeks ago, out for the season. Of course, A.J. Green, the wide receiver, also out for the season. Driscoll has actually performed admirably in his final few starts. I think uh, for the year, his limited performance, he's hitting about 66% of his passes, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, But to me, the key is more of an emotional or intangible uh, uh, reason. This is Cincinnati's final home game, and they end up going on the road to finish the season. Likely, and we've heard this before, but this year it seems to be more true than ever, final home game for Coach Marvin Lewis, who's been with the Bengals for 16 years. People probably don't remember how bad the Bengals were for more than a decade 
before he took over. Took a few years, got him into the playoffs, then had a string of five straight playoff uh, appearances. Never won a playoff game. Uh, but nonetheless, Marvin Lewis changed the culture of this team. He's been very popular with his players. So I expect an emotional effort from the uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, if to uh, perhaps uh, show support for his uh, likely soon-to-be, uh, for their likely soon-to-be ex-coach. Uh, statistically, I will mention one thing, that the Bengals do have modest edges in most of the key categories, including, and this is a surprise because their defense has been bad all year, but when you compare it to Oakland, the uh, uh, Cincinnati is actually uh, uh, somewhat better in yards per play allowed defensively. Uh, as far as one of the key factors that doesn't get a lot of mention that I like to emphasize, a lot of people look at yards per pass attempt, which is like apples and oranges, because yards per pass attempt uh, includes incompletions, which means you can't have you know factors and zeros for those attempts. That's got its own little category called percentage uh, completion percentage. Yards per completion measures that when the pass is complete, how far does it go or how much yards do they gain? The Oakland Raiders are allowing 13.4 yards per pass completion this year. That is not just worse in the league. It's by far worse in the league. A full yard more than the second worst team, which is Miami, allowing 12.4 yards per pass completion. So with Driscoll getting a little bit more comfortable with the emotional situation surrounding this game, what I expect to be an emotional situation anyway, I'm going to look for the Cincinnati Bengals to reward their head coach and reward their well, now again, long-suffering fans with a home win as they conclude the home portion of their 2018 regular season schedule. And, of course, with both teams, uh, well, Cincinnati, I think, still barely has some playoff hopes alive. Oakland has been eliminated. Uh, that uh, uh, I don't see a tremendous amount of reason for Oakland to put forth a tremendous effort. Uh, look, they're going to come to play. The players don't tank in the NFL. I just think that the level of intensity sometimes is a little bit different. And I think we see that level of intensity increase this week for Cincinnati. Andy Isco likes what he sees with the Cincinnati Bengals in their last home game of the season. And perhaps with Marvin Lewis as well, he'll lay the points with the Bengals for his complimentary play on the show this week. Andy, once again, a great job, as always, on the show. I'm going to wish you the very best of luck this week and enjoy the first week of the 2018 College Football Bowl game. I'm going to wish you, Victor, and all the listeners a great week as well. I'm also going to advise everyone to start uh, rubbing those grease on those elbows as you go out and do your holiday shopping and have to contend with uh, those who uh, still do not do most of their shopping online. <laughs> we'll do just that, Andy. You'll get that grease ready. <laughs> that was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll put the final wraps on this show. I'll share with you my awesome angle of the week, along with mine and Victor's complimentary plays, when we're back with the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed that's mybookie.a as an apple and g as in games tell them mark lawrence sent you only the biggest only the best only at mybookie.ag sign up today and now the moment you've been waiting for from the hot south florida sun it's mark lawrence with his awesome angle of the week 
All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week in the NFL this week. It's called Saturday's All Right. And how we do and what we're looking to do is to plan any NFL road team playing on Saturday during the regular season if they're facing an opponent coming off a loss. We're doing this because the Saturday road teams during the regular season against opponents coming off a loss are 29-8 and against the spread since 1980. That play leads us to the Cleveland Browns taking the points against the Denver Broncos for our Saturday's All Right Awesome Angle play on the football card this week. With that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap this week. And Victor, if you would, your complimentary play for our listeners as well. Well, first off, we're eagerly anticipating our 10-star NFL game of the year and over under selection. However, it's not going this weekend. It will be going next weekend. That said, if you're looking for some totals plays and you're listening to the podcast Oh, late Wednesday, perhaps during the day on Thursday, we will have an over-under selection in the big Thursday game between the Chargers and the Chiefs, and that'll be up at playbook.com. In addition, multiple over-under selections for Saturday, day one of the bowls. We got a four-star best bet in the NFL this week, our over of the week. That will be available uh, on the playbook.com website by Friday night. The game will be going Sunday in the NFL. And for our free play this week, you know, um, Andy just talked about this Oakland Raiders-Cincinnati Bengals game, and he likes the Bengals in that one. And uh, we're going to hit the other side, and we're going to be going over the total in this particular game. You may want to, I don't know, put it together in a teaser or play it separately or in addition to Andy's play. But at the very top of the show, Mark mentioned that in the totals tip sheet this week, our main headline is there's a high-scoring west-to-east time zone pattern. It's got multiple qualifiers this week. This is one of those games, and we've talked about the game in the tip sheet numerous times over the last 12 years. When a west time zone team travels all the way across the country, crosses over multiple time zones, and plays a Sunday early kickoff game in an eastern time zone, The games tend to go over at a much higher percentage than the typical NFL game, particularly when that West time zone team is A, an underdog, and B, the over-under line is in the mid to high range, and this one qualifies. But first off, what do you get when you combine the two worst scoring defenses in the league and the two worst rushing defenses? You get the over in the Raiders-Bengals game, and we're getting a manageable line as well. Of only 46 points in this game, Cincinnati dead last in overall defense this year, dead last in points per game allowed at 30.5, dead last in rushing defense. And then again, on the flip side, you got Oakland ranked number 28 in overall defense, second last in points per game allowed this year, 29.8. So uh, from a current statistical standpoint, the game probably has the best over potential of any game over the weekend. And again, zeroing in on that time zone situation here, my updated database results from the query 25, four and one now over under wet in the last five years, Western time zone road underdogs of less than 10 points. That's Oakland versus any Eastern time zone opponent. That's Cincinnati when the over under line is 42 or more points. Also, 
I also like running a query in the database where we stack the two individual divisions who are playing each other, and we look for any over-under tendencies. We certainly got it. AFC West division road teams have gone 15-3 and over-under last four years versus any AFC North division opponent like the Cincinnati Bengals. And these teams have even gone 11-1, and even better over-under when priced as underdogs. Of course, Oakland comes in with a 3-10 and straight-up record. As Andy mentioned, they're out of the playoffs. Their winning percentage is only 213. Cincinnati technically alive, but not really at 5-8, and a winning percentage of 384. In the last two years, 10 overs, 2 unders, game 3 or greater home favorites of 3 or more, like the Bengals, who have a less than 400 winning percentage versus any less than 400 opponent. When the over-under line is greater than 37 points, 10 overs, two unders. In a normal situation with maybe Andy Dalton in the game and both teams firing on all cylinders on terms of offense, this game could very easily be 51 or 52 points. But it's down to 46. I definitely think there's some value. And, Mark, we're going over the total. Raiders versus the Bengals. And as far as big ones in the NFL, I believe you got a big one going this week in pro football. Uh, yes, we got a lot going on this weekend, Victor. Our 10-star NFL game of the year is going to kick off this weekend. I also want to remind our listeners before I get into that game, you can pick up all of Victor's plays online at playbook.com from King Creole Sports with the start of the college bowl season and the NFL as well. All available at playbook.com where you can also join me for my 10-star NFL game of the year. It's part of another $99 football weekend of winners, including our first round of college bowl games, all of our NFL games highlighted with our 10-star NFL game of the year. You can do that or sign up for our college bowl bonanza this weekend at playbook.com or call my office toll-free to get on board today at 1-800-321-7777. And with that, my complimentary play on this weekend's football card. We're going to go to the National Football League, and we're going to go right back and zero back to the Cleveland Browns in what we talked about with our awesome angle play on the football card this week. The Cleveland Browns catch the Denver Broncos, I think, in an ideal scheduling spot here. Denver, for what it's worth, in one-game home stands when they're at home coming off a road game and have a road game up on deck the following week. Denver has been in this role and really struggled. They've been in the role the last eight times. They've lost the money all eight times as home favorites in these one-game home stands for the Denver Broncos. The Broncos have been outstatted 76 yards a game in the second half of the football season this year. They're slipping rapidly, if you will, with their play on the field. That's 58 yards a game worse than the Cleveland Browns have played in the second half of the football season here. And you're talking about a Cleveland Brown football team that's one half game behind Denver in the playoff race. Yes, they're both still eligible. Cleveland, the number 12 seed, Denver, the number 11 seed, as we do the podcast here. In a quarterback matchup between Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum, it's Baker Mayfield that owns the better quarterback rating and more touchdown passes than Case Keenum this season. With the Browns 3-2 and two in their games since Hugh Jackson was fired, and they let Todd Haley go, we'll back the Cleveland Browns for our complimentary play on the football card this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this show for Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King 
from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And for our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above. Until next week, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always. <laughs>